everyone, Mav Sky here with Dark Softly Tales. Um, I just wanted to update you to let you know that yes, I'm still here. <laughs> and yes, the podcast will continue soon. I was also thinking that we could just have a little chat here in response to some of the emails that I have been receiving from you guys. And yeah, I haven't been the greatest about responding right away. But usually I do get back to you eventually. So the reason I decided to stop right at this moment and come here is because I am feeling super, super frustrated on this website that I'm building. It's not like I'm new to website building. Like some of you guys have known me for years and years and I have built and rebuilt and rebuilt websites. I've made different shops. I've done all these different things. But with this particular program uh, that I decided to just fully submerge myself into, I am just very frustrated with the shop building part of the website. (laughs) And I am feeling like such a newbie and kind of like an idiot because I just stare at this software and it wants me to put in this and that. And I'm thinking that the size is all wrong, it's ugly. I don't want it to look like that. And there's like all these bits and pieces that I don't really understand why it's there. And so when I go and investigate to learn why it's there, it opens up this whole can of worms where I feel like, oh, wow, (laughs) I didn't even know this existed. And now I need to dedicate myself to figuring out this other thing, which frustrates me all over again, because all I want to do is get this website done so I can continue on with the podcast, right? And writing stories and all these other things. And then I feel like quitting. Like quitting as in why am I even putting a store on the website? Do I even need a website? <laughs> what does this have to do anything in the whole realm of things? Uh, maybe it's just dumb and I should just quit. And then I have to laugh at myself because, you know, I've been here before. I have been here so many times before. And um, and I think about some of the emails that I've been receiving from you guys where you're kind of feeling like in this spot. Partly in this spot of where do I start? And then also I'm frustrated. I don't know if I should continue. So let's have a chat about this. Let's have a chat about pursuing your creative dreams, your goals, and the frustration that comes up and the rejection that will come up and um, and just the feeling of exhaustion and yeah, all of that stuff. <laughs> I, I think what I'm trying to say is I think what this all winds down to is perseverance ultimately. I've received a lot of emails over the years or messages on social media about people struggling with their spark or their creativity. It's like they're feeling this overwhelming desire to create something, to pursue something, but they feel like they have these circumstances that prevent them from pursuing that spark. I've heard everything from, you know, busy schedules, children, being married, being single, having hectic jobs, not having a job at all, dealing with trauma, dealing with mental illness, dealing with physical health or dealing with family members with physical health. 
issues or mental health issues. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And then sometimes these people will end that with telling me that I'm one of those lucky ones who must have perfect health or an open schedule or plenty of money or no family issues or really good education. <laughs> That's obviously why I've done so well for myself. And I always um, just kind of sigh and go, ugh, because that is not true at all. I have struggled with all of those things. But I get it, you know, I get it. I get that. I get all these things that people mentioned because I've been through that too. And I still struggle with those things. And we all struggle with those things because we're all human. If you're listening to this, you're probably human. That's my best guess. <laughs> we struggle in different places and we struggle in different pieces and we struggle in different parts. And the struggles can look different. They can present different. But struggling is struggle. Pain is pain. It's the same thing. A child may have been physically abandoned by her mother, but another child might have been emotionally abandoned by his mother. One person's pain is just as real as the other, even if it presents differently. Okay? But here is the thing, is that we are each given a spark, a spark of creativity. And maybe your spark looks like dancing, or maybe it looks like oil painting or crocheting, or maybe creating gardens or writing stories or poetry, or maybe it's narration or voice acting, or maybe it's acting in plays or musicals or movies. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's playing video games and streaming. That's creative. The spark presents in many different forms and in many different ways for each of us because we're all different, right? It's the same as the struggles. It's, it's the same, but it's also different. It can look different. But what we need to recognize, though, about this spark is that you and you alone are responsible for growing that spark into a flame and that flame into that blazing fire and that fire will provide for you warmth when the outside is cold that flame that you can cook food over to provide nourishment for your body that fire that will shine brightly in the night when the moon is hiding behind the clouds and it's pitch dark and you hear that weird creepy noise nearby that fire keeps the danger away okay that fire that provides your friends and family um, with that companionship right with that warmth and that compassion and that sharing that we all crave we all crave that so we all hold the spark the potential for the fire and we each have a capacity to grow that spark into a fire the question is, how do we do it? We already know what our blocks are. I can't grow my spark into a fire because, you know, my mom treated me like this and my dad did this to me or my brother's sister are treating me like this right now and my job is terrible and my boss is mean and I have five kids and they have health issues and my husband or wife does blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, we can blame it all on that. 
you know, and eventually you're going to have to face yourself and take responsibility for your life, take responsibility for your struggle, take responsibility for your pain, right? Recognize that spark that is within you and realize that it is up to you to take responsibility for it. And then we say, okay, so how do we do it? How does this happen? Is it just magically to just go, right? That's kind of like a story, right? Like, that's, um, that's kind of a fantasy that we all have where you don't really have to work for it, just magically happens. And sometimes we look at other people and that's like one of those blocks we throw out there, like, oh, they were um, successful. So obviously it just magically happened for them. They didn't have to struggle. They don't have anything bad going on in their lives. That's not true. That's just a fantasy you tell yourself to create an excuse for why you're not doing that. Ooh, hard truth there. <laughs> so the next question is, after we've grown that spark into a fire, how do we keep that fire burning? Because keeping that fire burning takes a lot of work too. It takes perseverance. That's when perseverance comes into play here. Perseverance is needed when you're growing that spark into a flame as well, and then that flame into a fire, because who knows how long that can take. It's different for everybody. There's a survival show I used to watch back in the day with my kids called Alone, and it's the one where you are dropped off with 10 survival tools and you have to survive by yourself for a certain amount of time in a remote wilderness like Mongolia. They had a spin-off series of episodes where a group of people would be dropped off with nothing but their jackets, and they were in the middle of this wilderness. And the show producers would ethically kill a moose, and these people had to figure out how to make tools to harvest the meat and then they had to create fire was just using whatever was lying around. And man, was it exhausting to watch these men and women spinning these sticks between their hands on rocks, trying to produce enough of a spark to create a flame to light, you know, some grass that may be dry or may not be dry. And meanwhile, uh, they had no warmth. They had no way to preserve meat. It'd be raining, snowing, wind blowing but they had no choice to put to persevere. And you know, it can be like that sometimes when you're trying to light that fire. It takes a lot of work. You might have to gather different tools or try different methods, but once you start it, you got it. And then you have a job of keeping that fire going. You have to build a good rock wall like around the fire to keep those flames within the boundaries you set for them because we don't want the neighborhood to burn down, right? <laughs> we don't want our loved ones hurt by the flames. It's job, the fire's job is to produce that warmth and light and nourishment. So we put boundaries in place. Then there's the effort of finding wood, chopping it down, carrying it to the fire. Sometimes the wind is going to blow, so we need to monitor the fire, make sure it doesn't get out of control. Sometimes it's going to blizzard, it's going to rain. Keeping a fire going requires work. And, you know, you see people on that show, man, they are tired, exhausted, hungry. And sometimes conditions are ideal. 
for a fire. And those are the times that we can relax and recover and enjoy. But there are going to be times when it's really difficult to keep that fire going. And we might feel like giving up. Kind of like me on my website, right? Like I want to kick that into the ashes, right? And just be done with it. And as a side note, sometimes we do realize where we've set up camp isn't an ideal place for us. It isn't healthy for us. It isn't good for us. It isn't nourishing us. It isn't providing for us. So this happens in the survival show. And what they do is scoop up some of those flaming hot coals in a log, like a scooped out log or whatever. And they bring those coals to a new spot where they feel like they can thrive. However, when you do that, you risk that those coals, those precious coals going out. You know, it's, it's really a 50-50 chance. If the fire goes out, well, you're back at square one with that little stick in the rock. Okay, I think you guys get the picture here. It's a little overkill, <laughs> but that's okay because sometimes when we have multiple blocks, when you have a wall, it takes multiple ways of saying things several times to get through those walls so we can actually comprehend and understand and absorb. On that point, this episode will be a little bit longer because I do want to share with you a little of my own background to show that we can use our hard times as fuel for the creative fire, to comfort yourself, to validate yourself, to heal yourself through those difficult times. Creativity is pure magic when it comes to its healing abilities. And I can attest to that, as you'll find out, 100%. And if I can do it, so can you. So once upon a time, <laughs> there was a girl who grew up in an unstable home. That girl was me. There was drug dealing in the house. Um, we moved once or twice a year. We were never in the same school twice. Living in rough places, low-income housing, trailers. I'm the oldest of seven, so I was always making dinner, cleaning the house, changing diapers, that sort of thing. My mom remarried several times, dated lots of men as I was growing up. And so there was quite a bit of sexual abuse. There was physical abuse, emotional abuse, lots of trauma. And when I spoke out about one of the men who had abused me, this person was high up in the military, a prominent guy in the local sports team and in the church. And of course, he just accused me of being a liar. And I lived with being called a liar for years until later it came out that he had had multiple affairs with women and hurt their children too. And, um, and eventually um, I had the chance to go to court and stand up in court and look him in the eye <laughs> and tell the judge what he did. And I told the judge what sentence I thought that he should have and he was put away for a couple years, thank goodness. But um, yeah, that was just part of, that was my younger years. In my teenage years, my mom remarried a person who was kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He was very generous and kind in some ways, but also physically abusive and emo emotionally abusive. So my teacher at one of the new schools I was attending um, accused my parents of physical abuse. 
So they pulled me and my siblings out of school to homeschool. And at that time, we lived in a little trailer on a raw piece of land filled with giant boulders and trees. We were on the foothills of Mount Rainier, actually, and my parents wanted to have a little farm, so we began cutting down trees and moving rocks. And as a teen, I worked from almost sunup to sundown, cutting down trees, digging up stumps, digging up rocks, moving rocks, <laughs> helping build barns and huts for animals, milking goats, taking care of poultry, pigs. And when I wasn't doing any of that, I was trying not to get bucked off the wild horse my aunt gave me. So as you can imagine, I had little time for homeschooling. My stepdad actually did buy us a pretty nice curriculum, but obviously between having multiple kids and the farm, my mom had zero time and interest really in teaching me or really my other siblings. So I taught myself. And in those years, I had a lot of anger about things. Every time I got really, really angry, I would get so angry I couldn't stand it. I would go straight to my books and I would do another math lesson or I would do a history lesson or an English lesson. It was one of the reasons why I was so angry is because I was held back in school a lot. I would have to redo years. And then when I was homeschooling, the people who guided my parents into starting to homeschool told them that since we had been in public school, we would need to be set back a year in order to keep up with the curriculum. And so, once again, I was held back a grade in school. So, I was really angry. Just That, that was just one of the things I was angry about. So I would work really, really hard on my schoolwork. Whether it be late at nights or just in between chores, because no matter what, I was gonna get it done. And that's just one of those examples of the creative spark I'm talking about. It's if you know what you need to do, if you can identify what it is you need to do and get to it and actually use as fuel what's going on in your life to produce that thing for yourself that you really want, that you know is good for you, then do it. Don't don't even think about it. Just do it. That hard work did pay off because I finished my 12th grade year when I was 16. And of course I couldn't get a diploma, but I was able to get my GED and start running start and, you know, get free college courses through that. So any of those preconceived ideas out there that I grew up with rich parents that gave me a fancy education, that's all out the window. <laughs> I have an education, but it's basically in raising children and working on farms. <laughs> and I can get whatever boulder out of the ground with a shovel, a couple of crowbars, and a stack of firewood. I can definitely do that. But a formal education or even a public school education, uh-uh. So all that to say is when I started writing stories, I felt like I was so far behind. You guys have no idea. My grammar, putting together a sentence, all of that, I had to start from the very beginning, and I worked really hard. I would write late into the night, early in the morning, when my kids were watching cartoons or when they would take naps, I would write stories and submit them to magazines. It took me over 100 rejections before my first acceptance at a magazine. 
And after 100 rejections, I actually stopped counting after that. <laughs> it's like, I made it to 100. I would actually celebrate with every rejection would come in. I was like, well, one more, one more, because I knew every time I would get rejected, I was that much closer to getting accepted. I would join various writing groups. I wanted to know how to write different genres. I was very, very curious. Horror and fantasy, suspense, that's obviously what my favorites are. But I really wanted to know how to write smaller fields that's known as absurd writing or absurdity. I wanted to learn how to write absurdity because life is so utterly absurd. You'd have to agree with me, right? Life is ridiculous, like the most ridiculous things happen. <laughs> and I wanted to know how to put that in my writing. Like, how do you write that into a story? And of course, that really led into pulp stories, noir stories, because that has a lot of, of the absurd in it, right? It also deals with power struggles. It deals with loss. Horror really is the one that deals with losing things or being afraid to lose things or or losing control. But back to the writing, um, I edited a lot of other people's work for free. I joined a lot of writing groups where I would edit people's work for free. Part of it is because, I mean, I do love stories and I love reading, but the other part is because it would help me identify what made the story work? What didn't make the story work? Is this comma in the right spot or is it not? Is this period in the right spot? Is it not? It developed a sense of rhythm. Also, if you study absurdity, hint, hint, it really helps develop a sense of rhythm with the words. There's almost like a musical flow that goes with the words, that goes with someone's thoughts. It, the musical flow will go with the building of a scene or breaking down of the scene. Building up of a person, building down of a person, building up of a power struggle, the building down of a power struggle. I see it like as waves of an ocean. Waves rise and the waves fall. And the waves are also affected by the moon, right? So that's, that's what I always hold in my mind when I read a story. And those metaphors came to me, the rhythm came to me as I would read other people's work. And I would consider it and I would look at it by zooming in to the scenes, and I would look at it from zooming out of the scenes. So I've edited, I don't know, thousands of short stories. And I wrote my own stories, and people would edit my stories. And there was these phenomenal people that would come along the way and say very kind words. And these people knew a lot more about story writing than I did. And I would, especially the ones that when I loved their stories, I would really pay attention to what they had to say. I would pay attention to the rules that they followed and the rules that they didn't follow. And probably the best thing that I learned, um, by the way, if you guys are hearing noise in the background, that's my husky dog. Um, he really wants to be in here with me and I don't know exactly what he's doing. He's sniffing around at the floor or something. I don't know. <laughs> but. There have been a lot of really kind people. There was a lot of really mean people. There's a lot of mean editors. There's a lot of pe mean people who edited my stories. And you learn when you get enough of those what to take and what to leave. So this is the conclusion of part one of Sparking Your Creative Fire. 
in response to some of your emails. I have part two going up next week. I split it in half because it was really, really long, and I know that you guys tend to like 20 to 30-minute episodes. So I hope this was helpful for you, and until next week, shine bright, Derek Hearts.